I would ask you to uh, open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, which will be our sermon text this morning. It's on page 372 in your pew Bibles, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Um, I'll be reading the first 30 verses, verses 1 through 30 in chapter 20. Here's the reading of God's word. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, before the new court, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, And you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning, 
and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For, for the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. On the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. So this ends the reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you, Lord, that your um, word gives life, Lord, and we can uh, believe your word because it is your true word to us, Lord. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would use your word to uh, impact us, to change our hearts, Lord, to allow us to see you more clearly and give us a deeper and greater faith in you and in your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So when I was uh, three or four years old, my grandmother got me a, a Christmas present. Actually, for me and my brother, I think it was. It was a little push lawnmower. Um, it had four wheels and a nice handle at just the right height for a three- or four-year-old. Um, you know, this lawnmower didn't have a blade or a real engine, um, but it was made of brightly colored plastic. And this lawnmower was kind of special because rather than fill it up with gas, you would put a soap solution in it, and as you pushed it around, it would shoot out bubbles. Um, it was pretty special. So instead of shooting out grass clippings, we're shooting out bubbles. Um, so my brother and I kept the, the carpets in the house neatly trimmed during the, the winter months. And when spring finally came and the, the grass started to grow, um, my dad would go out and start the real lawnmower and cut the grass. And my brother and I would be not too far behind him, pushing our little plastic lawnmower around, shooting bubbles around at the yard. Um, you know, I was happy at that time to be a part of the task at hand. Um, I probably realized that, you know, dad's doing the real work, but, but I'm going to help. And I was still happy to push this little toy lawnmower around and send bubbles streaming around our yard. I was just happy to be involved. 
Um, in the passage we just read, Second Chronicles chapter 20, um, we got an account of something similar to my toy lawnmower story. Um, king Jehoshaphat, the, the king of Judah, and his army got to participate in a battle, but the battle was the Lord's. They got to push around their toy lawnmower while God did the real work. Um, so first, a little background on this passage um, to put it in, into context. King Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah from about 873 to 848 B.C. That's about 100 years after the end of, of David's reign. Uh, he was the fifth king after David. Um, and the northern kingdom of Israel had split off um, under Rehoboam previously. Um, in Second Chronicles, Jehoshaphat is presented as being generally a good king. Um, Second Chronicles 17, verse 3, says the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. Um, he did not seek the balls, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. Um, verse 6 in chapter 17 says his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places in the ashram out of Judah. Um, he later sent officials, um, Levites and priests, to all the cities of Judah to teach the book of the law. And so while generally he followed the Lord, he also had some failures. Um, he had a marriage alliance with uh, King Ahab of Israel, who, who did not walk in the ways of the Lord. And uh, they got together and um, ignored the, the word of the Lord's prophet and went to battle against Syria, where Ahab was killed and um, Jehoshaphat barely escaped with his life. And that all took place... Uh, fairly recently before the passage we read in, in chapter 20. So in chapter 20, Jehoshaphat has returned to Jerusalem. He's now hopefully obeying the scriptures and the prophets. And the Lord sends a test in the form of the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Edomites. Uh, these three nations, which probably also includes the nation of Edom, occupied territory on the east side of the Dead Sea, across from the, the land of Judah. Um, those nations had joined forces and have come against Judah. And Jehoshaphat is told in verse 2 that a great multitude, a vast army, has encroached upon their territory. And they had marched all the way into the region of Hazazon Tamar, or En Gedi, um, which is the wilderness um, in Judean territory, only about 25 miles from Jerusalem. And verse 3 tells us that Jehoshaphat was afraid. You know, he had just recently faced battle with King Ahab, and he saw his counterpart, King Ahab, killed in battle, and he narrowly escaped himself. Um, Judah was also greatly outnumbered. Jehoshaphat's army may have been reduced in strength after suffering defeat in this battle with Ahab, but um, the invading armies were described as a great multitude. So Jehoshaphat certainly had a reason to fear. But in response, um, we saw three key elements presented in Second Chronicles chapter 20. First, we saw Jehoshaphat's prayer of faith and humility. Second, we saw a prophetic revelation of God's plan from the Lord. And third, we saw praise and worship as God achieved victory in battle. So let's start by looking at Jehoshaphat's prayer of faith and humility in verses 3 through 13. On learning that their enemies were closing in, King Jehoshaphat quickly responded. Um, Jehoshaphat was afraid but his fear did not paralyze him or cause him to cower. Instead, he was deliberate and decisive and acted without hesitation. In verse 3, Jehoshaphat set his face to seek the Lord. 
He understood his predicament, he under, but he understood his Lord. And knowing these things, he set his face to seek the Lord. He knew Deuteronomy uh, 4, 29, which says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him, if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Jehoshaphat called for, for fasting and prayer throughout all Judah in verses 3 through 5. Um, Jehoshaphat was a wise king in this respect because he did not ask his people to do anything that he was not willing to do himself. And his people responded. They sent representatives from all the cities of Judah and assembled in Jerusalem. And they gathered before the house of the Lord, the temple in the outer court. Um, when Solomon had dedicated the temple... In one part of his prayer, he said this, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 6, verses uh, 34 and 35. If your people go out to battle against their enemies by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to you toward this city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. And so Jehoshaphat was calling on King Solomon's prayer to God um, in his prayer um, here. Um, what lessons can we learn from Jehoshaphat's response to the news of the invading armies? Um, our first lesson has to do with where our enemies come from. As Christians, we do face enemies that come to us from outside. We, we live in a fallen world. We deal with sickness and disease and losing loved ones, um, maybe financial difficulties, issues in relationships, could be marriage or issues with children. Um, there's pressure and temptation to conform to the world. You know, there are many things external to us that we uh, must fight against. But Jehoshaphat's enemies in this passage may give us another clue as to what we really fight against. The Moabites and the Ammonites were actually distant cousins of the people of Judah. Um, we know from Genesis 19 that Lot had escaped from Sodom with only his two daughters. And since his daughters, husbands-to-be, did not heed Lot's warning, um, they were destroyed in, in God's judgment on Sodom. So um, his daughters, in a sinful decision, decided to, to get Lot drunk and, and to sleep with him. And, and uh, they bore sons um, who became the, the, the Moabites and the Ammonites, the sons um, of, these, of Lot's daughters. Similarly, the Edomites are the descendants of Esau who for a momentary hunger sold his birthright and uh, gave up his inheritance to his brother, Jacob. So um, these nations carry around with them a reputation of both sexual immorality and, and yielding to the flesh. And so that's a danger that all Christians face. Um, and it's addressed throughout the Bible that uh, we have a tendency to give in to our flesh and our sinful desires for sexual immorality. So perhaps... The vast multitude that you or I are facing is the temptation towards sin or the lack of self-control, which, which yields to our flesh. So the first thing we can learn is we can know our enemy. As Christians, we're engaged in a spiritual battle. There are spiritual forces of evil that are still in this world, and, and we all were once slaves to sin. But Christ has brought us freedom from slavery to sin, but we must still fight against the influence of our sinful nature and, and Satan's attacks. Secondly, when we get bad news, when disaster strikes, or when fear begins to take hold, uh, we have to respond as Jehoshaphat did. We need to seek the face of God before we do anything else. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, right in the middle of the hall of fame of faith, um, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists 
and that he rewards those who seek him. God rewards those who seek him. When times are tough, we need to turn our hearts to seek after the Lord. There's our reward. We get a communion with him that we could not receive any other way. Returning to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 6 through 12, Jehoshaphat lifts up a prayer to God. He begins by exalting God's sovereignty and recognizing God's power over heaven and earth. In verse 6, um, David Guzik writes in his commentary, Other peoples believed in localized deities, as if the Moabites had their God, the Philistines had their gods, and the Ammonites had their God, and so on. But Jehoshaphat recognized that the God of Israel was, in fact, the God of all kingdoms, of all nations, and of all the earth, and indeed, of heaven itself. Next, Jehoshaphat calls to mind God's works for his people in the past, in verses 7 through 11. He commends God for his faithfulness to give them the land as he had promised to Abraham. He pointed out that his people had built the temple, the dwelling place of God himself, in this land right there in Jerusalem. And he again recalled Solomon's prayer of dedication from 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, said, Yet have regard to the prayer of your servants and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be open day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. Um, Jehoshaphat also recalls in verse 10 the exodus, in which God would not allow them to drive out the Edomites, the Ammonites, or the Moabites um, while they were um, taking over the, the promised land. So essentially he says, don't punish us now for our obedience then. And throughout Jehoshaphat's prayer, the focus is on God and what God has done. Once he's finished recognizing what God has accomplished in the past, Jehoshaphat, in verse 12, asks God to act in the future. Um, He prays for God's judgment on the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites. And then Jehoshaphat reveals the depth of his understanding of his situation. In all humility, he knows that he is powerless against this great invading horde. He knows that their own army won't save them without God's intervention. His prayer culminates in what Martin Selman says is one of the most touching expressions of trust in God to be found anywhere in the Bible. The last sentence in verse 12 says, We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. There are no illusions that this king knows what to do. If help does come, it must come from God. And Jehoshaphat's entire prayer is filled with clues that he had a deep faith that God would act. He trusted that since God had done great things for his people in the past, he could, God could be counted on to fulfill his word. He believed that God would intervene, protect them, and drive out the enemy once again. So what can we learn and take away from Jehoshaphat's prayer? Um, his prayer is actually a pattern for prayer in our own lives. Um, he first prayed about God's character and attributes. He praised God for his might and his power, his sovereignty, who God is. And so our prayers can be saturated with praise for God's power as well. His love, his goodness to us, his righteousness, his high position in heaven. Um, next, Jehoshaphat prayed about what God had done. Um, and we also can pray about his works and faithfulness um, that we have recorded in the Bible. And um, that God intervened here in Second Chronicles 20 is the same God we pray to today. So we can thank and praise him for all his works. 
but we actually have more detail about what God has done even than Jehoshaphat had um, in his prayer. We have the whole teaching of the New Testament. The mystery of the gospel has been revealed. We know that Christ, um, that in Christ, we who were dead in our sins, we have been made alive. We know that Christ paid our sin debt on the cross and that his blood cleanses us from all sin. We know that all who believe in him and confess that he is Lord have eternal life. Truly, we have even more to praise God for than Jehoshaphat did. And last, Jehoshaphat confessed his powerlessness, but had faith that God would intervene. When we are confronted with challenges and trials and temptations, we can pray just as Jehoshaphat did. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This is a liberating confession. We must realize that God doesn't hold us responsible for coming up with bright ideas to advance his kingdom. Dean Davis, in his devotional on this verse, says, All he holds you responsible for is to do exactly as Jehoshaphat did. Sometimes fast, always pray, and always seek God's face. Our walk with God is never easy, but it's always simple. We are to simply seek the Lord God. You know, sin was born into this world with the idea that Adam and Eve could live independently of God. Eat this fruit and you'll be like God and you won't need him anymore. Instead, a focus on Christ, a focus on God himself, is the key to the Christian life. And again, we have advantages that Jehoshaphat did not have. The glory of Jesus Christ has been revealed. We can fix our eyes on Jesus, our Savior. We can fix our eyes on the cross, where our sins are paid for and we have abundant life. Like Jehoshaphat in difficult situations and trials in life, we don't know how God will intervene. But we can trust in God's promises and and wait on the Lord. And so as Jehoshaphat concluded his prayer, the people stood before the Lord. Everyone, wives, children, waiting and wondering, what is God going to do? They were hoping, but it wasn't a hopeless hope. It was an expectant hope that that God would reply. And sure enough, he did. And um, so we see in verses 14 through 17, the spirit of the Lord inspires a prophetic revelation of God's plan. God begins to speak through his prophet Jehaziel, a Levite of the sons of Asaph. Um, What does the Lord say through Jehaziel? First, he says, listen, pay attention. Um, This may have been a reminder to King Jehoshaphat because earlier in chapter 18, he and King Ahab had heard the words of a prophet of God who said that going into battle against Syria would result in disaster. But these two kings failed to heed this prophetic word and went up anyway. And King Ahab was killed that day. Next, the prophet says, Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid, do not not be dismayed. That's verse 15. Do not fear is one of the most common commands in Scripture. It occurs over 100 times in the Bible. And here God repeats it twice. Um, As Roger told us in Sunday school, if it's repeated, it's, it's important. So the two commands, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, serve as bookends for the prophet's message from the Lord. Then he says in verse 15, the battle is not yours, but God's. God has a battle plan for them. In verse 16, he tells them the path that the enemy will take and where to station themselves. Um, Following God's battle plan is, is sure to succeed. And finally, he tells them in verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Just stand firm, hold your position, And see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. 
You know, there are other battles recorded in Scripture where God calls his people to draw the sword and to, to engage in battle. Uh, but this battle is not a test of the fighting skill of Judah's army. It's a test of their faith. God had been with his people throughout history. He had brought them, he parted the Red Sea and brought them out of Egypt. He fed them manna in the wilderness. He supernaturally defeated the enemies that occupied Canaan so that the tribes of Israel could live there. These feats were not due to Israel's strength or their army. These victories in battle were the work of God. And this battle would be no different. As he promised them, the Lord would be with you in verse 17. So what what does God's response to Jehoshaphat's prayer mean for us today? Um, While there are over 100 commands to not fear in the Bible, there is one thing we are commanded to fear, and that's to fear the Lord. Um, There is nothing in all creation that can overpower God. There is nothing beyond his reach or beyond his control, and he's faithful. We need not fear man. We need not even fear Satan because his defeat is sure. The perfect love of God casts out fear. And when it comes to fighting the enemy on our own journey in the Christian life, our role in battle is kind of like King Jehoshaphat. We're to stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. As in my opening illustration, God is out there doing the real work. He's out there cutting the grass. I've got my toy lawnmower spitting out bubbles. I'm participating. I'm doing my part. But the real work is the Lord's. You know, I'm powerless to defeat Satan. But, the, but God's victory is sure. And Jesus Christ has already defeated death. So what a blessing it is that God allows us to have a part in his kingdom, to participate, to see the victory of the Lord over sin in our lives and in judgment over our fallen world and finally over the evil one on the last day. Um, consider Psalm 107, which we read for our responsive reading. Uh, Psalm 107 contains four stories of people in difficult situations. We just read three of them due to the length of the the psalm. But in verses 4 and 5, we saw people wandering in the desert, hungry and thirsty. In verses 10 10 through 12, we saw people who had rebelled against God and became prisoners. We saw in verses 17 and 18 that some were just fools in their sinful ways. But in each case, there is a repeated verse. Um, It's in verses 6, 13, and 19. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Each story goes on to explain how God solved their problems for them. And when we finally realize that we are powerless to solve our deepest problems, and we're afraid, if we humble ourselves and look to Christ and call out to God, he will hear and respond. The response may not be exactly what we expect. God's ways are higher than our ways, but we can be confident in God's promises and know that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. But we should also examine ourselves and ensure that God's work in our lives is is bearing the fruit of obedience. And in the final section of our passage, verses 18 through 30, we see Judah's praise and worship as God is victorious in battle. So what is Jehoshaphat's response to hearing God speak through the prophet Jehaziel? His first response is to bow his face to the ground in worship. The king humbled himself before the Lord, and all Judah and and, uh, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem followed his lead. Just as the words of his prayer demonstrated humility, now the posture of his body demonstrates it as well. Then in verse 19, a group of Levites, the Kohathites and the Korites, stood up and began to praise the Lord with a very loud voice. 
First um, Chronicles chapter 6, I won't read it for time's sake, but the Kohathites are a group of Levites who David put in charge of the service of song in the house of the Lord. So while it was somewhat of a spontaneous bursting into song, it was by the very group of people who were assigned this ministry by King David. And so now the day of the battle arrives. Jehoshaphat, the king and the commander of his army, serves also as the pastor of his people. In verse 20, he challenges his people to believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. They had all heard the king's call for prayer and fasting and they had assembled at the temple. They'd heard Jehoshaphat's prayer of faith and they had heard God's sure plan for victory through Jehaziel. But now Jehoshaphat is calling on his people to trust, to believe on God's word to them and and his proven past faithfulness. And then in verse 21, he took counsel with his people because he and his army were about to take a step of faith. And as a leader, he needed to be sure that all the people and the various groups and the battalions of his army were all on one accord. And it was especially true because they were about to do something somewhat unorthodox. At the front lines of his army, he placed the singers. The worship team would lead his army into battle. They had been assured of the Lord's victory. In fact, the Spirit of the Lord had assured them that they would not even need to fight in this battle. They would just need to stand firm and see the Lord's salvation. And the singers of the army, in verse 21, they sang, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. The army of Judah sang the victory before the battle had even begun. God's promise was that sure. John Piper, in a sermon on this passage, said, Spiritual worship and spiritual battle should be carried out with singing. Those gifted and appointed to singing are to lead God's people. They are called to do warfare. The enemies of God are thrown into confusion by the songs of the saints. And so what was the result? The Lord followed through with what he had promised. In verse 22, it even indicates that the Lord set an ambush only when the, the, the army began to sing in praise. And just as the Lord had promised, the army of Judah didn't even need to fight, as the Lord threw the armies of the enemies into disarray, and they turned and destroyed each other. It was total annihilation. In verse 24, it says, All that was left behind was dead bodies. No one had escaped. There was more spoil than they could carry. Jehoshaphat and his people spent three days bringing the goods, the clothing, and the precious things back to Jerusalem. And again, they rejoiced on their way back to Jerusalem. And the army marched back into the city to the house of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. And so what does this account of God's defeat, God's defeat of Judah's enemies teach us? Um, first, sometimes we don't fully appreciate the role that praise and worship plays in the Christian life. We saw in this passage that singing God's praises was appropriate at all times. They sang before the battle had begun. They sang as they marched into battle. And they sang as they returned in victory. Worship worship songs and hymns are actually a valuable gift of God that we can use in our Christian life. Consider the account in Acts 16 of Paul and Silas in Philippi. They were stripped, they were beaten, and they were chained in prison. Think about what your reaction to such a situation might be. Maybe you'd cry out to God. Maybe you'd complain or protest about your mistreatment. I'm pretty sure that my first response would not be to sing hymns to God. Yet Paul and Silas spent the night praying and singing hymns to God, and that was enough for God to 
to uh, come and shake the whole prison and break their chains free. Um, singing is not merely God, a response to God's grace. I think we can even consider singing praise as one of the means of God's grace. It's an ordinary act that accomplishes extraordinary things in Christians and in the church. Paul and Silas in prison were desperate for a display of God's power, so they sang. And so what we do on Sunday mornings is good. We come together, we lift our voices and praise to God. It's one of the things God has commanded us to do as a church. Uh, I recall Pastor Dean has exhorted us on more than one occasion to even use hymns in our daily devotions and our family worship times. If you're like me, you may have said, oh, that's a good idea, and then failed to put it into, into practice. But based on what I've learned this week from this passage, I'm probably missing out on one of the key elements that God has designed to help achieve victory over sin, over worldliness, and over unbelief. So I'm going to try it. I'm going to get out my hymnal along with my Bible in the morning. And if it's not already part of your routine, maybe you will try it as well. Um, the Lord has appointed us, appointed the use of spiritual songs against the attacks of Satan, his archenemy. Martin Luther wrote this. Experience proves that next to the word of God, only music deserves to be extolled as the mistress and governess of the feelings of the human heart. We know that to the devil, music is distasteful and sufferable. My heart bubbles up and overflows in response to music, which has so often refreshed me and delivered me from dire plagues. So in conclusion, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, our Lord takes center stage. Our God, the ruler over all the kingdoms of heaven and earth, was faithful to his covenant people. He comforted them in, his, in their fear. He gave them his prophetic word. And then he carried out judgment on his and Judah's enemies and achieved a victory that all of Judah and her, her armies could celebrate and praise God for. There's much we can learn about the way God works, but the key was at the end of verse 12 when Jehoshaphat prayed, We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. When we look to God and we look to his word, we see that he has provided Christ, his only son, to come and overcome sin. And his death and his blood have brought us life, eternal life. He was victorious over death because death and Satan could not hold him. This battle, though, is still going on within us. For, for those who believe in Jesus, we are in Christ and we must stand firm looking to Jesus. And if we do so, our victory Christ's victory is sure. He has promised it. So we must focus our eyes on Jesus. And we sing praises to him because the enemy will be defeated. Let's pray. Father, we ask you for Jehoshaphat's eyes. Help us to fix our eyes on Christ. As we meditate on his word, as we pray in his spirit, as we faithfully step out in obedience to your will, Lord, would Jesus become more and more precious to us, Father? Would... Um, you show us that the battle left him wounded and scarred, but thank you that his wounds have ransomed us from sin and have brought us to life. We, thank, we give thanks to you, Lord, for your love endures forever. Amen.